Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 101. Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah, we passed 100. Yeah, I'm Brentley. I'm Dan. And we would like to remind you before we get into it with our fabulous guest today, Miss Sarah Higgins. Um, don't forget, like, subscribe, comment, share the show with your friends. Just, you know, all that little that little bit helps. We've been, you know, really growing lately. Uh, we're over a thousand. We're almost at ready for YouTube monetization. We just need a few thousand, uh, I think, more views or something or hours viewed. I'm not sure what it is, but we're close. Yeah, we're so spread there. it around. Watch the watch backlogs. If you really want to help, you can like open up a video and let it play for your pets in the background while you're out, out of town. That'll help us. Until then, you can donate though. Until and, then, you yeah. can give us money. There's links yeah. in the description. Shout out to my friend Lisa for her very generous donation. Oh, so generous, you. Love you. Lisa. Love you. Thank, you. Thank you, Lisa. Today. We have the amazing, the based, Sarah Higdon. Sarah is a <laughs> veteran. She is a based transsexual. She is a content creator, a YouTuber, and speaker. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. We really appreciate you joining back. us again. Yeah, thank Coming you. Back. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks for uh, inviting me back on. This is it's, It was fun last time, so maybe we'll get, you know, have some more fun today. Definitely, definitely. Sure. I wanted to get into your work. I wanted to talk about what you've been up to recently because they just over the over the the Christmas break, <clears throat> they kicked you off of Twitter because you said something very true. You said that you know uh, having gender dysphoria is a mental illness. It's in the DSM. Mm -hmm. It's very factual. And they nuked you on Twitter. How long? How long were you nuked on Twitter for? So, well, that was the whole thing about it. They, they put me on a 12 hour timeout, but which ended up being 48 hours because I didn't want to delete the tweet. Right. You know, I kind of took that, that, that stance that I shouldn't have been deleted. This is a factual thing. And Elon said, like, when he's took over, like this stuff shouldn't be happening. So, um, I decided I was going to raise it to be an issue and use my platform to raise awareness that this was still happening and it shouldn't be happening. And so, yeah, I, I do freelance writing for the post millennial. And so Libby Emmons, I sent her, just let her know what happened. They decided to run the story and it was retweet. It was, it was tweeted out by Andy. No, and retweeted by Seth Dillon and even Dana Lash retweeted it. Like it got a lot of attention. And I ended up booking a Newsmax spot, um, but it was like on that Friday. And so my account came back Wednesday evening. I, they didn't even send me an email, nothing. It just came back. <laughs> I like just checked it and I'm like, it's back. Like I checked it at four o'clock and then like at six o'clock it was back. Um, and so they didn't say anything. And then I was, then I, I was talking to people about the conversation that was being had and i said somebody was trying to compare being pansexual with what i said saying pansexuality is a mental illness too and i was like well it's really not but here's why um because it's kind of the same thing as being you know bisexual with extra steps basically for saying that again i got banned so friday morning i'm going into my newsmax interview and then i'm like yes i've been i've been uh I've been taken off of Twitter, given another 12 hour suspension again. And so that took till Saturday evening. Um, I actually ended up this time getting an apology letter from Twitter uh, saying that we got this one wrong. And so 
I don't have any strikes on my account and I was able to get the account back and I hope that it kind of fixed the automatic flags that they have for, you know, that stuff. Because even like Carrie Smith was, she was, she was, she sent out what I, like she was saying Sarah Higdon's blocked out of her account for saying this. And apparently what we figured out is any combination of LGBT and the words mental disorder in any tweet, doesn't matter where they are in the tweet, will automatically throw a flag and put your account under suspension. Wow. So hopefully they got that fixed. I don't know. I haven't I haven't really checked to see. I know somebody posted something like the same thing a couple weeks later, and I was like, now I want to see if you're here tomorrow. <laughs> I forgot to go check though. <laughs> I guess you could test it out and uh, tweet it again at some point and see if they see if they nuke you. Or and just for you. our audio listeners, Sarah tweeted out, "It is a mental disorder. I mean, when some wiring in your brain makes you feel more comfortable as the opposite sex, that's an illness, which I don't think we should stigmatize a mental illness. So yeah, illnesses makes perfect sense. Yeah, I don't I don't see what was so controversial about what you said." But to the the it's algorithmic, probably well, to the trans yeah. radical activists, yes, that is controversial, and I'm sure it was. It might have not been algorithmic. They probably reported it. Well, that's what I kind of said that on in, in the Newsbacks article. It was really interesting because I appealed immediately, um, and I waited for the appeal to come back. And when they denied the appeal, I figured I was like, okay, well, somebody had to verify the appeal, so. A person saw that, and so it was something more, you know, egregious happening because then somebody saw it and still determined that it was hateful. And they did that for both of the tweets. So I don't know if it's an automatic flagging or whatnot, but it still was an issue. And after this, I raised the question. I said, you know, I'm a I'm a Twitter Blue member, so if you're gonna pay for Twitter, I, I think that we should actually have a real life customer service person that will actually go in here and get your account back up as soon as possible, especially if you're paying, like if you're paying, that should be like a customer service issue. Like let's do this as quickly as possible. That's a good point actually. Right. Well, any, you are any, a customer. Literally any other service that you pay for, if you are not able to access the service, the company will give you a credit for that time period, or they will work yep. very hard to get that service back to you as soon as possible so that you, you know, can legitimately pay for it. Yeah. And I, I asked Twitter if they would, uh, and obviously I got no messages back. I said, Hey, I mean, it would have been like a dollar, so it's not like anything, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I mean, like I lost like almost a week of, of this and I pay for this. So, but that's the thing It's in the Twitter, when you sign up for Twitter blue, it says that if you are suspended or anything like that, the time right. off is like, you, you still get charged for it. Um, but this was the thing is even still, I was, you guys admitted that it was your mistake. So that's a difference of, if it's not your mistake, okay, I, I got you. Um, I still pay for that. But if it is your mistake, then I, you, you know, you warranted this, but I guess the best thing about this whole thing is I probably gained about a thousand followers within that week alone that I was, I, I had, I had literally one tweet like that whole week and it was, and then I, it was like a thousand followers more when I came back. I'm like, that's awesome. Gotta love <laughs> the the that. effect. <laughs> that's how it works though. You know, they, they, they try to like bury something and cover it and, and censor and what they don't yeah. realize it's you're attracting more attention to the ideas that you're trying to bury. It's similar yeah. to at some of these protests, like a lot of what the radical <laughs> activists seem to do is they love to hold up their signs and their flags and to yeah. surround the person that they're trying to censor and to literally like censor to block you in real life by mm -hmm. blocking you with their sign yeah 
which they did to Fred Sargent in, in Vermont, you know, when Brent was over there with Josh Slocum for, for that protest. And what they don't realize is by surrounding the person whose ideas you're trying to block, you're actually bringing attention to that scene to them. Yep. And it's going to make more people ask like, okay, well, what's going on here? Why is this happening? And then, yeah. That same thing happened um, last Thursday. So last Thursday, um, I was in Wisconsin for an event. And this event had a ton of people. And after the event, um, like the one of the local newspapers ran basically a hit piece because it was protested. I felt honored because I was protested for the first time in my career. So I mean, it, it means I've made it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, but it was these you know, these, these trans activist protesters that were labeling it as, you know, a transphobic event because, you know, Jamie Michelle from Gays Against Groomers was supposed to be there. Chloe Cole was there. And it's interesting. And then the, the organizer um, was what, what they, her school filed a lawsuit for her, you know, a defamation suit against her. But then it was quickly thrown out because it was all she was doing was ask or t talking about the books that were in their library and stuff like that. So it wasn't even it was like parents have a free speech. Right. So it was quickly dismissed. The article didn't mention how it was dismissed. It just said that she was sued and it only mentioned Chloe Cole and Jamie in the article. And if the reporter had even stepped inside of the building, which all reporters were given free access to this event. Um, they would have realized that Jamie, unfortunately, was not able to make it. And then they would have also listened to me, who was there. And then you have uh, Jeanette Cooper um, from par uh, Parents for Ethical Care, who considers herself a radical feminist. And then you had Corey Brewer, who is a lawyer up in Wisconsin. And so you have a radical feminist and a trans person that are sitting right next to each other. We, we probably disagree on quite a bit of stuff, but we, we, we both agree that we can, you know, fight to protect children. And then you have the, uh, the organizer of the event who, who is a very strong, like, Republican, like a Trump-supporting Republican. And so all these wide range of views were there, but they just made it seem like it was a hit piece and, a t and just an attack on trans people this whole time. And so it's like, okay, you guys can write this, but guess what? It's just going to give us more promotion because now you've even made people be like, well, what is this event really about? And I'm like, it's okay. The video is going to come out in a couple weeks. You can, you can go there and determine for yourself and see exactly what we were saying. And it was, <laughs> but it's, 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 they, they make the promotion for us. Yeah. When I did an event with no left turn education in Richmond, Virginia, Eventbrite took that listing down. Oh my. Yeah, so we were doing a screening of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, followed by a pan panel discussion afterwards. And because they took that down, it got attention. And Matt Walsh, on his show, mentioned that event by name, mentioned me by name, and, and to talk about how ridiculous it was that a, a video, a movie about trans people, followed by a discussion with trans people, was basically deemed to cause harm against supposedly trans people. Like that was like how he said it. And it was like, and so it just, and again, so Matt Walsh's, you know, million followers on Twitter gave us huge promotion for this event because Eventbrite decided that they were going to do something like that. <laughs> you, you brought up an important point that I think is, you know, worth reiterating here. And it's that people who disagree on some of these subjects but agree that the goal is to 
protect children and to make sure that the least amount of harm comes to children, people in general, but especially children by promoting this affirm, affirm, affirm approach without any pushback and questioning. Yeah. That's what matters here. Like you brought up Matt Walsh, like I'm sure Matt Walsh and us don't agree on quite a few things. I know his takes on gay marriage differ than mine. Um, yep. But I'm willing to ally with Matt Walsh and to stand with him for the fight to protect kids. Like we don't have yep. to agree on necessarily everything. And, and that that's fine. It, it doesn't mean that we can't have this sort of common ground and still stand together for something that we do actually agree on. And that's what's yeah. important because there's so much like, there's a lot of infighting that's still happening. And we've had Billboard Chris on the show a couple times. And a lot of the radical feminists, they hate him. They can't stand him. They accuse him yeah, of all yeah. this stuff of misogyny. But when you really analyze their stance, it seems really what's going on with them is misandry. And they don't like that a man is fighting in this movement and becoming, I guess, a face of the movement when he yep. doesn't care about any of that, doesn't want yeah. to be a face of the movement. And another thing too is this isn't a movement that is just affecting women it's also erasing men it's erasing yeah. the, the idea of biological sex in general so that affects everyone so it's it's all of our movement it's not a movement that is just for women even though it has like a more i, I guess you could say um an increased effect on women because of the disparity of force between men and women and how men yeah. can now be in women's spaces. I understand that. And that even the trans thing, the ideology of it seems to be affecting young girls more than young boys, but it doesn't mean young yeah. boys aren't being affected and that it's not our yeah. fight as well, especially as gay men, you know? So it's like to tell us we can't be a part of this because we have a penis. It's like, dude, you're, you're, you're slowing down the progress of this when we should be uniting. Well, that's what's what's interesting is, and you brought up a really interesting point, because the current trend is young females that are being affected by this, but a lot of the attacks on trans people are about about trans males. Yeah, and, and so it's interesting. It's like that's the the biggest issue with some of these people is is trans males like doing different things, like you said, accessing women's spaces and stuff like that, and it's like. But then you have the trans, the, the young girls who are mostly being affected by it. So like, it's like, where do you put your priorities and what are you actually fighting for? Are you, are you fighting for the young girls who are being manipulated and, um, and, and told that they're trans simply because they don't, they're not comfortable going through normal puberty? Yeah. And then there's the other side of that too, where those girls turn into trans men, right? You know, and they're, yeah. when they're adults, they're coming into male spaces, <clears throat> gay spaces and claiming yeah. to be gay men. So they're actually appropriating like who we are. So, yeah. so that's my point is like, it is also our fight. I'm not saying they can physically harm us, but a lot of them are trying to shame gay men into sleeping with them and, and saying mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with us and we're bigots. If we don't view them as what they're presenting as and what they say they are. And it's like, dude, you're erasing homosexuality, which is not something we've identified into. This is something we just are. And then we had to come to terms with that, which was a process for us. And you're just saying, well, no, I mean, we can identify as that. And it's like, isn't that the same as saying that we chose this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't get brought up enough because again, like you said, um, <laughs> It is interesting because a lot of the attention goes to, you know, the, the trans women who are trying to do that to, same thing to lesbians. Yes. And, and, it, and it shows a lot of, um, like you said, it is still like the patriarchy at work. But the same thing does happen to a lesser extent to 
men and into gay men especially to be like if you don't date me you know you're a bigot or anything like that it's like no you know same-sex attraction is still same-sex attraction um and, and there can be some gray in there as well for some people that may want that may be okay with dating trans people but it's not <laughs> it's not it, it's not bigoted to still not want to date somebody of this opposite sex no matter who they are Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this also leads into something that I wanted to, to chat with you about today. Um, and it's something Billboard Chris talks about. He spoke about it on the last episode of the show that he came on. And he basically says that being being gay or being homosexual, right, gay or lesbian, isn't something you identify as. It really, it really is just something that we are. We are this way. We didn't pick it. We mm-hmm. can't control it um sure we can choose to act on it or not that's a whole nother discussion but we didn't choose to have those that sexual orientation so sexual orientation is not something that you identify into whereas you know he says trans is something that you do it's it's more a verb it's a process that you undergo what do you yeah so in a way in a way that's accurate i would say it's more so in line with what you said as um that it's how it's 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 a choice the choice is how you deal with it because i guess being trans is the choice uh but having gender dysphoria is not yes and so that's the that's the key right there too is like i had a choice to transition or not to transition and i made the choice that to make myself more comfortable living out the way that i want to um kind of the same way as it would be if, 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 if a, if a gay person was like, I am more comfortable. I I'm attracted to men, but I'm just going to abstain because I don't feel right. You know, I'm, I'm not doing it. That's the choice. It's the choice to act on it. Um, where in this society and what we're seeing in trans activism, when you don't even have to have a gender dysphoria diagnosis to consider yourself, you know, to transition and stuff like that, that's where the the waters get really muddy and it does become just kind of something that you can identify as. Cause for a long time, I, and I still feel this way. I hate the term identify. Yes. Just like I hate the term, just, hey, just like I hate the term lifestyle when it comes to anything LGBT, it's not a lifestyle. It's, it's my life. You know, it's, it's, it's who I am. It's not something that I choose to go and act in this lifestyle. It's, it's who I'm attracted to, not, you know, the way I, I live. And so being trans is kind of the same thing. It's not something that I identify. Well, I guess being trans would be an identity, but having gender dysphoria is not something I identify. You know, I, I don't identify as a woman. I am a trans woman. That's kind of the difference, right? I made the choice to transition because of the disorder that I have. So on that note, you know, and you use the word disorder here and relating to the tweet that you put out that you got banned for, do you think that maybe we should go back to the old term that was used to describe this, which wasn't gender dysphoria, it was gender identity disorder. And this was a Kenneth Kenneth Zucker was the researcher who first started looking into this phenomenon and that was that was the how he categorized it and then that sort of changed when the he wasn't the first one to look into it he was just the most prominent the most prominent one in the 80s and 90s yeah that's what it used to be called and then as soon as you know they started removing that from the the dsm they they used the term now gender dysphoria 
Yeah. So that's, um, I, I mean, I think a lot of times when we talk about words, um, it, it, it's really, it shouldn't matter what it's called, gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. They're kind of, they're one and the same to me when I look at it. Um, the issue is the fact that it was removed from, you know, um, the classification was changed. Um, and there's a lot that of the reasons why it was changed. Um, I, I don't think it would be as big of an issue. I actually think it might help if you change it back to gender identity disorder because people have a, people get confused with what dysphoria is and what body dysmorphia is. Yes. And they don't realize that those two things are basically opposite concepts mm -hmm. with some overlaps, right? So I, this is why I don't like the word delusion when it comes to trans people either is because I'm not delusional because it's what I actually see in the mirror it's it's those secondary sex characteristics that make me uncomfortable um, with my body. Meaning Whereas, it's not like you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing yourself as the opposite sex, you're seeing yeah. your actual sex as characteristics, and that's what's causing the discomfort. Yeah, and and it, and that's a, and that's a mental thing. Again, this is it's a it's a mental thing that is causing me this distress. Um, it's not that I'm seeing something. It's not that I'm born in the wrong body. It's yes. that my brain is 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 distressed. It's, it's, I guess that's the best way to put it, uh, which is, again, and so it's, that's why, I, again, like the, you wouldn't treat um, somebody with anorexia by telling, you know, affirming. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer because, again, it's the opposite type. It's not, it's not really related. Um, and so like they see, they look in the mirror and they have this inaccurate almost delusion yeah. of themselves where they see themselves as very fat or overweight. Exactly. And that yep. is what drives yeah. their anxiety. Yeah. Whereas you see reality, you see your male yeah. secondary characteristics and that's what actually triggers the anxiety. Yeah. Body dysmorphia it, is also very common when you start working out. And now I know this yeah. from my own uh -huh. experience <laughs> where we, uh -huh. you know, I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and, and I know so that skinny. I, need to I, be bigger. I know that I have gotten bigger, but I, it's almost like I don't see it. And I don't feel like yeah. Yes, 20 pounds bigger, but I don't see it. And Not I feel like I her. haven't gotten big enough. <laughs> other people tell me, they're like, no, you look fine. Or you put on weight yep. and that sort of thing. But it's well, like, I have a, a bit of that dysmorphia where I don't see the reality of it. I want to be larger and I feel like I'm still yeah. just as skinny as I was a year ago when I'm not. Well, so. well, and that's why I talk, that's why I say there is some overlap though, because mm -hmm. this is what happens is a lot of trans people, you may see a lot of very passable trans people. And actually Blair White's talked about her own issues with this. Mm -hmm. Like you, you see a very passable trans person to so the outside world. They probably present, you know, very well, but that person still sees every single thing that clocks them and so they want to have more surgeries or they need to do more and they need to you know they're not they're not passing so that is more of a seeing what not what everybody else sees but you're seeing too much of what's there and it's probably not so it can, like it can overlap a lot and i think that's um i think again i think blair's talked about her eating disorders and stuff like that because it causes kind of the same issue so they can overlap but they're kind of opposite concepts at the same time um but like what we were talking about too is changing changing the term so that could help with some of the confusion between the two concepts yeah um as well like it was so i people don't realize why it was removed from the from the the classification was changed from a mental disorder to a sexual health disorder which is actually what homo, homosexuality is listed as a sexual um 
sexual health disorder as well. And I, uh, the only reason why it was changed is they say it was to reduce the stigma, but if you're going to, but there shouldn't be stigma against mental illnesses that gives yes. all other mental illnesses a stigma in and of itself, even as you're trying to destigmatize mental illness. Um, <laughs> yeah, like at that point, you might as well remove them all from the DSM. Right? Yeah. If you're, if you're worried about stigmas, um, but at the same time, it was moved from sexual, it was moved to a sexual health disorder because while it is therapists who give a gender dysphoria diagnosis, it is like endocrinologists and other doctors that are, you know, prescribing the treatment and monitoring the treatment. It's not the therapist. So for coding purposes in terms of like health insurances and stuff, paying for it, that makes more sense. So it, it makes more sense when it looks at like the paperwork side of things, but not as much when it comes to the practicality of what the disorder actually is. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It could at least lessen some of the confusion, especially because like the word dysphoria is similar to dysmorphia. Yeah. And yeah. even I, I think, have confused them at some points. But like you said, they're they're not the same concepts. The language is just really, I mean, it's something we have to sort of like work around and play with because on the one hand, there's like, you know, most of us that are trying to honestly and genuinely find out what works best for the most people. And then you have sort of the activists that are just pushing an agenda regardless of the objective data. And mm -hmm. they, just, they just lie. They just lie nonstop. Well, they also interpret any <clears throat> any conversations that question how we approach this. As an attack. As an attack. Which is deceptive. Which is yeah. deceptive, yes. Because we should be able to discuss these things. And just because we raise some questions doesn't mean that, say, like, I view Sarah as not human anymore. And I've erased yeah. your existence. And it's, it's absurd. You know, we need to be able to have these conversations and to have them honestly. And the more they shut down that dialogue, I don't see that as doing a service to anyone really it's not doing a service yeah. to people who say might need more understanding of what people like you go through and it's not doing a service to people like you who are going through it yeah and that's why i always talk about we can all we, we should always be open to the conversation and willing to listen and, and to everybody's perspective on this stuff and we can I, I think too much right now we all just want to be right and we don't want to yeah. we, we there's so much it's so everybody's so hard-lined right now to where i think that if we work together um, we can actually come to a lot of solutions to most of the issues somewhere in the middle like we're you know come to solutions that pretty much work work for everybody or at least you know 90 percent of the people out there uh, but most people aren't willing to have that conversation um and it's really interesting i was just reading an article before we before we came on um it was about how medical professionals um medical schools are going to even talk like talking about pronouns and stuff like that and they're the languages that they use and while after the, the they expected that this person that was teaching in this medical like that was given a seminar in this medical school about this stuff was going to basically either get you know widely applause or you know just sound or silently agreement well they had 45 questions afterwards and they said that and and the person that hosted the speech said about 80% of those questions were considered transphobic to him I was like, so medical students are questioning and, and while the, the leaders are, are pushing like the glad stuff, like it's all glad stuff right. and all this woke yeah. stuff, the people that are in these courses are, are pushing back. So that at one, that kind of looks like it's a white pill because, you know, people are smart and they can realize, they can see what's going on and it doesn't make functional sense to where 
it could also, if you look at it a different way, it could also blackpill you because you see all these kids are now being indoctrinated into, so many people are being indoctrinated into this ideology as well, going through these medical schools. It's, it's kind of insane. And language is interesting because, I mean, I, I think I'm probably going to post, put a tweet out today because I have been seeing this more and more. I didn't even realize this was an issue. Whether to put a space between trans women so either trans space woman or trans woman as a whole. I'm like, I don't really care. They're the same thing. Why does it matter to anybody? <laughs> but it's an issue to people on both sides of the issue. I'm like, I, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Oh God, it's frustrating because there's all these other things happening in the world right now. And I know. And this, this topic very much dominates a lot of the conversation. And I understand why it is an important thing. I mean, it's like, we're literally by, we're standing up for biological reality. It's kind of the last kind of fundamental. Yeah, it's fundamental. It's like the you know yeah. tip of the spear, in and a they're sense. targeting children, which naturally makes yes. all of us adults very angry. But at the same time, yes. a lot of it gets kind of uh you know caught up in these these really nitty gritty details like that over putting a space in between you know a prefix or and the word woman etc. And I just, I don't well, know. It gets yeah. tiresome. It's like, oh my God, all this other crap is happening in the world right well, now. We're here arguing was, spaces. Or, or, I mean, pronouns in general, you know, I mean, actually, if you guys saw, I mean, Rayleigh's Last Stand, uh, Colin Wright put together a great symposium of views from all different people, even had, what, what was her name? I forget. Um, the tr other super far lefty trans person that was on there. So me and but it was just a wide range of views on on pronoun use. It's like, why are we, it, it, you know, I, I participated because I have my views on it. And I, I think I want to shape that. I want to talk about that narrative, you know, but at the same point in time, it's like, like you said, there's so much other stuff. Like this is just distracting us from not being able to talk about children and, and everything like that. And one of the examples that I used in my piece was from Austin Peterson. And if you guys know Austin, he ran for president as a libertarian, and then he ran for Congress a couple of times as a, as a Republican. Yeah. I follow Austin. And I'm not familiar with him. he's, he's been, he's been, a, he's been a friend of mine for, for a little while. And I've been on all of his shows that he's had. Um, and he's been on my show. And the first time he was on my show, he explained it like this. He, uh, and cause we were talking about this little pronoun thing. This was a again a year year ago and he said maybe even two years ago i don't know uh but he said that one of the reasons why he because he'll use he, he uses she her for me uses my name and and everything like that but he'll use like when it comes to a leftist he'll use the wrong pronouns for that person that way so that they get so caught up in that debate on pronoun use well, we're making actual real changes over here. So the, yeah. there, it's a distraction over here while we're actually passing bills and everything like that right. that's actually protecting people. So get them focused over here. And again, that's a Solinsky tactic. So it's using <laughs> Solinsky tactics against them. Yeah, I think, you know, Peterson has kind of, when he, Jordan Peterson, when he was at, not Austin Peterson, when he was yeah. at about No this, relation. No relation. Yeah, there actually, it's, it's E-N e and O-N, different. Yeah. <laughs> but when he was, when he was asked about this, and I remember this was a few years ago, probably like 2017, his answer was something along the lines of, you know, I think they asked him if a student requested that he use the pronouns. His response was something along the lines of it would depend on the motive, the motivation behind them asking, because his yeah. whole thing is compelled speech. So yep. if, if he feels like the motivation is a sort of controlling one, then his answer is definitely like a hard no. Like he's not, yep. 
going to use them. And I think that approach is, is similar to what Austin's doing here. It's like, well, these activists, they don't respect me, so I don't respect them. So I have no yep. reason to use the pronouns. <clears throat> exactly. And that's what I said in my in my piece on there. I said it and and because the whole thing got brought up because Colin and Christina, they both use, you know, she, her, she, they call me she, her. And that caused a lot of rifts with, you know, some of the radical feminists who are hardline on that issue. And they're like, well, you use she, her when it comes to your friends, but you wrote this piece on, you know, not, you know, responding when they say, you know, asking you what your pronouns is. And it was like, talk, he was talking specifically about the ritual of asking somebody's pronouns yes. and stuff like that, not participating in that, not talking about like what you do, like when it comes to like your friends or people who are respectful and everything like that to you. Cause I wrote in my piece that I said, I do not compel speech. I don't believe in compelled speech. Um, I can determine how your speech affects me. Um, the thing about pronouns is, is that they happen usually when the person's not there. So when I'm not there, it really doesn't, I, I don't care. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's none of my business how you refer to me when I'm not there. Um, the other thing is I've had a lot of people who are, you know, very pretty religious conservatives and that they'll be like, Sarah, I respect you and I want to respect you, but I can't in good conscience use she, her pronouns for you. So what should I do? And that's when I just say, use my name. It's my legal name. It's, it's, you know, it should be no issue to use my name because again, yeah, I changed it, everything like that. It's no different than using somebody's married last name. Um, and so you can just use my name if you really want to be respectful to me and you don't want to use you know, certain pronouns for me. I really don't care. I'm not going to tell you what to do either way. Yeah. And you, you can't either, you know, at the end of the day, we can't control yeah. what anyone does or says and how they refer to us only how we respond. I, just, to it. I find the whole debate just so ridiculous because as a gay man living in New York city, we were referring to other gay men as girl, honey, she, bitch, queen. We invented mischief. I know. <laughs> made it fun and, you know, entertaining. It wasn't like a serious, thing. it was never, you know, it was never hateful. It was never bigoted. It was never a wrong thing to jokingly misgender, you know, your friends or whatever. Well, and it happens and it still happens all the time in gay circles, right? Like in the, in the community, yes. it happens all the yeah. time. Like I heard you say it earlier when referring to, her. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I do it all the time. I refer to my gay male friends as she, her queen, just, I, I, it, I don't think about it. It's secondhand. And that's yeah. really kind of what pronouns are supposed to be secondhand, not thinking about it. So whenever like somebody sort of compels or like they try to tell you how to use, how to, it just, no, I don't. And, and I've had the same debate with people on the right. I've had people on the right say, oh, well, you'll refer to Blair White or, you know, you know, Sarah, yeah, that's you know, what Sarah if you was had her on your show, you'll refer to her, you know, was she her product? Yes, because I don't think about it. And, yeah. you know, you present feminine. So I, and your name's Sarah, yeah. which is to me is a yeah. girl name. Yeah. So I yeah. refer to you with girl pronouns. Also, yeah. That's Be just the way I am. People like Blair have had so much work done that they they do pass pretty well. And I know not everyone <clears throat> looks at Blair and sees a woman, though, because I have showed pictures of Blair to some of my straight male friends. And a couple of them have been able to identify, like, oh, that's a dude. Although they may have suspected that I was trying to trick them. So yeah. <laughs> in a certain way, who knows? They may not well, have actually you're seen right. That's what happens but, a lot. That yeah. happens a lot in society, right? A lot of these people that think that they can clock trans people yes. all the time everything like that there is a sort of a confirmation bias there yes, because it's like sure. every trans person you see well one you, you don't know if the person's actually trans because you're probably not going to go up and ask them right. and there are some women who get mistaken for 
when like trans people all the time as well detransitioners are not i mean that's one of the bad things about that is they will never they will always be seen at or sometimes they will be seen as trans but the opposite so they will be seen as like the op like the, if they go back to their original sex sometimes they will be seen as trans but that they're the opposite sex right because they were they took testosterone for long enough and it's usually the young young girls they take testosterone long enough testosterone makes permanent changes that you can't correct like voice and everything like that and so you go back and some people might be like oh you're trans no i'm detrans like it's 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 a huge issue when you're when you're looking at and that's and that's what a lot of people kind of fail to realize some of that stuff as well yeah. when they talk about richie, different um, tulip r on twitter richie yep posts about this sometimes as well it's like that oh you know people can always tell it's like no they can't and he said yeah. he, he gets confused all the time and people still ask his pronouns and all that and yeah also dealing with a lot right now with the hormones and detransing and all that stuff he had to stop taking testosterone because it was making him feel like shit so even that that's what's that, interesting that yeah him detrans still because saying well, estrogen now and he's like all of this he's like none of that none of that really matters you know it's like just do yeah what work best for you no you're right and there's something and i don't know what it is because um and i've been seeing a trend lately and it's something with the testosterone that they're they're giving now yeah. and apparently though I, i've heard that it's a different formula that they give here in the u.s than what they give over in the uk so it's a little okay. bit different type of testosterone but i i've seen plenty of i've seen a, i've seen a few trans men that have had to come off of uh, their testosterone and so then they get back into some of these dysphoria inducing areas whereas um it, and, and so when when you see like people that are having to come off their testosterone for health reasons not because that necessarily they're detransing it, it it puts a little bit of a question in your mind and again that's kind of the the point to say that we don't even still know what's going on with testosterone like you said and it has to and it has to do with the synthetic testosterone that they're giving because if richie is having those things it's not necessarily that it's going into a female body it's it's just the type of testosterone that they're giving because yeah. richie's body is made for testosterone um <laughs> as a male and so how is how is that it's still affecting him and it has to be something to yeah. do with it being synthetic um, but then like Buck Angel talks about now, like he doesn't know what it is now because it's affecting younger bodies more than it's ever affected him. Other than when he was younger, he went through all the complications to get where, you know, to kind of the experiments and stuff like that to get to where we are now today. And so it's really interesting because now he's like, I don't, I haven't had issues with testosterone for years. Um, it but it is, there's something weird. If you've had the bottom surgery or not as as a male that is how that's going to affect you because richie is post well yeah you know? whereas it might affect someone who is detransing you know and is a male who didn't have the surgery and you know still has their parts intact and all that well so. well it would so the thing is is if you never if you don't have the surgery and you detrans um you can pretty much just come off estrogen and then your body will start producing start testosterone making, again. Yeah. yeah. Is, and so you don't have to, you don't have to inject. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is, it's a, it's such a, it's such a tricky topic, you know, and people get so upset about all of it. And like, we were talking about the pronouns before, and I think I brought this up last time we spoke to you too, but like Blair White even got Ben Shapiro to admit that in certain social situations, Ben Shapiro would use she, her pronouns for Blair yeah. because Blair passes and say you're around other people who don't know that Blair 
is actually a male and you start saying he him to blair that will that would confuse them in a social situation they're gonna be like why are yeah. you calling that woman he him so yeah that's no you're thing. right yeah uh ben i think what it was that yeah ben shapiro had said was that he would use it in social situations but when you're talking like on a panel or in with an audience and stuff like that he I'm wants to be technically accurate you know he wants to be very factual based and accurate so he's not going to but in a social setting he he, he might yeah. um which is again that's that's understandable especially when where, where he's coming from so i i mean i i have no issues with stuff like that totally um sarah let me ask you we've i've seen a lot on twitter i uh people trying to use queer as this new umbrella term for gay culture trans culture um how do you feel about that because i'll say how i feel about it later but... <laughs> so um what we have to understand is um queer is derived um it, it basically it's in a, it's a it's an ideology so if you identify as queer you take part in queer ideology there was even the TikTok that they admitted it um and it's part of the ideology and it doesn't necessarily have to, you don't even have to be you know homosexual or bisexual or even trans to be part of the queer ideology you can just self-identify into this and 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 you're queer um and again it's based off of queer theory which is a postmodern neo-marxist idea and so what I kind of talk about, because I, I still think that the LGBT with the original T meaning transsexual, the original is separate. And I don't like putting like non-binary and all that stuff under the T because it doesn't make sense. We're, they're not actually trans. They're not transitioning to anything. So they would be more marked non-binary or queer. And so the LGBT is being erased by the non-binary in the queer community because it's postmodernism. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, being called transphobic for not wanting to date trans people. It's it's this notion that there is no such thing as absolute truth, which is in and of itself an absolute truth that they think that. But um, but that's what postmodernism is. And so to them, in a lot of ways, sexuality is not even a thing. So it's it's a clear divide that they don't even believe that lgb or transsexuals are a thing and so how are how are you supposed to move forward in the same community if you if you can't even agree that you know homosexuality is homosexuality you know that that's even a thing and and so i think that there is a clear divide for us for me yeah exactly that originally was well originally it just meant weird or strange if you like i didn't yeah. learn the word queer from hearing it thrown at me as a slur i first learned the word queer when it's i was young. when i was reading lord of the rings in seventh grade and the yeah word was used in lord of the rings by tolkien to refer to something strange or weird so that was yep. my first introduction to it it wasn't until i got older that i realized there were all of these political connotations and stuff surrounding yep. that word so yeah. yeah it's it is interesting because again words change meanings based on how they're used and i think in different parts of the world it still is used simply to mean you know weird or strange so yeah. if you look at it being weird or strange like queer activists are literally calling themselves weird and strange and then they then they, they would call you that way <laughs> i think so too i mean that's when you look it's like, again, we refer back to it and it's like the goth community when I was in school and it's like 
they don't want to conform to society's rules, but then they all look the same and act yeah. the same and do all yes. the same things. Yeah. It's it's the same. It's the haircut. It's the look. Like everything, all looks the same. I mean, look what happened to Demi Moore when she went queer, and then look at what happened when Sam Smith when he went queer. Like they all do the same types of things. So it's like, but and it's all to be counterculture, which would technically be considered weird. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to mention one other thing too, relating to what you said, like you mentioned that like non-binary people don't really count because they're not transitioning into anything, which is sort of true, but it's more like they're like transitioning into like a nothing that is not yeah. included in any. And I say that because a lot of them are also getting surgeries. We spoke with uh, Camille Kiefel on the show for, I think that was episode 99. And Camille had a non-binary top surgery, and that's mm-hmm. where they, they remove take your, the nipples. They take the nipples off and all of that stuff, and it's not yeah. it's not designed to look like a male. And it's obviously you're not looking like a female anymore. It's just sort of in between space. <laughs> Camille also didn't want to get put on testosterone and didn't take testosterone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, which it, is it, actually I should be more clear into something, <laughs> but not necessarily the other sex but like something that's not even like based on any example in nature yeah and and i should be yeah i should actually be more clear because originally when non-binary was a thing it was just the look and everything like that but then they started medicalizing Mm -hmm. and i guess i found out um a year maybe a year and a half ago it's been a little while since i remember hearing about like the the non-binary marketed surgeries and stuff like that because it's not just you know top surgeries which they're doing top surgeries and not adding nipples. And so a lot of times it's just, it's not to be non-binary. It's just because I guess it costs more or something like that. And it's hard. And so it's just really weird that they wouldn't add nipples and it makes, yeah. And then now they're doing gender nullification surgeries, basically turning you into a eunuch. Yeah. Nullification. So just taking everything, everything off, turning you into a eunuch underneath, like, everything um and i the first and then the one that i did hear that was being but i heard a surgeon talk about it on a podcast one time talking about how they're getting they were getting this was again about a year and a half ago getting more and more um questions about possibly doing a vaginoplasty but keeping the penis i've heard and face yeah. yeah and so that's becoming more and more popular i guess too but it, nobody really talks about it nobody talks about the surgeries that they had because it is genital surgery so it's like but what kind of surgery did you have and so you can go on reddit boards and find people that have had different types of surgeries but it's not really that widely promoted and it's like but it's just like they're they're trying like you said they're trying to transition into a nothingness which is even new compared to what it was. And some people are taking light testosterone. Some people are not taking testosterone. It's again, when you talk about gender as a spectrum, like the amount of stuff that people do is a huge spectrum in terms of this as well, which is yeah, very also, concerning. Sure, no real medical standard for what is <laughs> yeah. this is all experimental. It's all, experimental. Like, it's all a la carte. It's all whatever you want. You know, it's the customer is always right. And I'm just like, that's not how you're supposed to practice it's not medicine. medical care. It's not it's medicine. Yeah. Well, I, I talked about this actually, and this is, I got a little bit of heat, but I talked about this on the panel last week. I said, you know, I, I would prefer what's happening a lot is is, is that, doc, that somewhere? it's going to be put out. I don't, it, it out should yet. be put out within the next week or so. I would assume um, 
it's not out yet and i probably will post it to my youtube channel when it comes out but like um the i i what's happening in a lot right now is doctors are putting these things off as like promoting these as like these magic cures for dysphoria and all this stuff and they're they're hyping it up and they're and they're pushing it and i would honestly i would rather a doctor for an adult not for children. Nothing should be done to children until they're 18. Um, but for an adult, I would rather them just say, we don't know what we're doing. This is just an experiment, but it's your body, your choice. You can do whatever you want. I would be okay with that. Well, more than I would be okay with what they're actually doing right now, because right now they're manipulating and pushing it out. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Hey, if you want to experiment on me, you have the right to experiment on your body. You know, yeah. and here are the complications that could arise from that. Like, yeah, but and, and then there's a whole other issues of complications that we don't know that could arise because we don't we we don't even know what we're doing. It's all experimental yeah. at this point. You, ha I believe that as a as an adult, you have self ownership and you have a right to experiment with your body and do whatever you want with it. Um, but you have to know that uh, nobody else it's nobody else's fault but your own sometimes when you do take these things but when you have a doctor who is actually out there manipulating and pushing this stuff on people and telling people that you're probably trans you probably need this you need this you need this then that is medical malpractice because you're lying to people yep. <laughs> or telling parents that their children are very likely to self-delete if they don't do this that and the third Agreed. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's very, that's, that's, that's the issue that I try to fight the most. And that's where I focus a lot of attention is, especially when, again, we were talking about earlier, it's when it comes to kids, I'm not as concerned with adults. Um, I think that there is a lot of room to tell adults that, you know, that a lot of adults are going to have good um, opportunities to possibly sue their doctors because they were not given proper or they were they were actually lied to and they were kind of pushed into something when it wasn't what was right for them. Um, but I think children are the worst example because you're right, um, they're, what they're telling parents and they're usually telling parents in front of those children. Um, and that it puts an idea into that child's head that that's what's going to happen. And then it almost creates a foregone conclusion if, if you don't let that child tra transition. It's just a mess. And what's and, and it's and it's and it's just so evil what's happening to our children right now. Yes, no, I, I agree. That is definitely the more important thing to focus on. But I think bringing up how it's affecting adults and how we should be talking mm -hmm. to adults is also important because yeah. every D trans person we've spoken with on the show so far, and we've spoken to four now, I think, right? I think it's four. Four. All transitioned after the age of 18. Some of them yeah. in their late 20s, almost 30. So yeah. It's it's an issue. Clearly, there are a lot of yeah. people who are not being informed. Like, hey, this is experimental. Here's all the things that could go wrong. Are you absolutely sure you want to do this? Are you sure? They're being yeah. just affirmed. affirmed just push affirmed. it. Yep. I, and, and that's what needs to. And that's part of the issue when it comes to like you have like a lot of the therapists right now are affirming, 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 and they're not able to do their job. And now we're seeing like these, you know, anti-conversion therapy bills, including gender and stuff like that. And well, conversion therapy as a whole, no matter what is, is, is wrong, but the lines get blurred when you start to be like, well, you have to affirm. And if you don't affirm then that's conversion therapy and instead doctor, uh, you know, therapists need to be able to question somebody about whether this is what it really is and what it's not. And an affirmation only care completely wipes that away. You're not doing your due, due, due diligence as a doc, as a therapist to be able to push that and as well as I think this, 
it sort of becomes oh, conversion therapy in and of itself. It does. When you look at the amount of people who are detransitioning that realize later they were just gay or lesbian. Well, it's the transing the gay away, right? It is a very similar to a uh, conversion therapy when you're telling anybody who's gender nonconforming that they're probably trans, then that is absolute conversion therapy. And and even the adult detransitioners, they're, they're, they are so important to this fight right now because um, when it comes to, again, giving what actual information and giving people the ability to like give informed consent adult g transitioners tell the stories of what could happen and so their voices are uniquely important because they are saying this wasn't right for me you shouldn't do this you should wait you should take your take your time even as an adult you need to take your time and so trying to silence that is not giving a full picture accurate information because i I think we, we, we do our own, re we have to do our own research a lot of times. Um, like I think COVID taught us that doctors are not going to protect us. You know, they are out for their own interest. And so I don't trust my doctors. I go and do every single, all this research that we have to do and having detransitioners who are out here speaking out is very important. And, and I don't put any blame on the detransitioners, uh, the adult detransitioners that are out here right now, because when they transitioned, there was nobody out here telling them the opposite effects. And so there was nobody like them out here talking about this. So that's why um, they are in a unique position because it, this information wasn't out there when they transitioned. And yeah, so they- It also shows that even as adults, you're not always sure what you want or what you should do yeah. and who you yeah. are. So if even no, adults right. aren't all sure of that, what the hell makes people think that kids are? So it's absolutely yes that they tell this yep. story. And part of it too is these adults who trans and it's again it's it's a lot of these adults who transitioned um, who somehow think that their life would have been so much better if they would have been able to transition when they were a child, kind of pushing it onto children. It's like that's kind of what's it's like, yeah. oh, you have to affirm, 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 because if I was affirmed, I would be so much better off in life, which one that's not guaranteed you have no idea right. and two almost every you know the studies show that most of the people that are feeling this way are not going to you know remain or they're going to desist by you know us you know they're probably going to desist and all the studies are wildly inaccurate about this topic too yeah there's going to be a lot of ideological sort of contamination it's so controversial now it's like it's gonna be really hard to trust the conclusions of researchers. Yeah, they're actually, you know, giving you honest, objective information. Um, I forget who it was. Yeah, yeah, I forget who it was. Um, maybe a month or so ago, it might have even been longer. Said, you know, we're gonna get probably five to ten years down the road. We're gonna be at a point where there's more detransitioners than there are trans people. Yes, it's possible. Yes, because it was supposed to be something that was rare. That's it was a yeah. rare thing. So the fact that it has become more common, like the argument that the the radical activist types give, is that oh well, society has become more accepting, therefore more of them feel more comfortable to come out. Yet at the same time, you say that oh they're hunting us down everywhere and we're in danger. Which is it? Is society more yeah. accepting, or are you being hunted down everywhere and you're in danger? Because you can't have both narratives at once. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and I think it's actually the opposite where society is so accepting. Like when you actually look at the stats and the stats came out like a month, uh, a couple months ago too, maybe even not that long, but it came out to show like in last year, I think it was something like 32 trans people were murdered. And then if you look at the reasons why they were murdered, it's usually, you know, prostitution or drug related and stuff like this or domestic abuse and, and all this stuff. It's not because they're actually trans. 
Uh, but even the 32 number, the total number is still less of a percentage than the actual like normal murder rate for the society. So it's almost like there is a, you know, trans people are less likely to be murdered than anybody else in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, having to do with like drugs and prostitution and especially the prostitution thing, like how many of those people were, say, not confiding in the people that they were taking to bed? that they were trans and that could be a really dangerous thing. Someone could have yeah. like a, a pretty extreme reaction well, to that. I'm not saying established yeah. legal precedent now that it's surprised that yeah. that is a, it's like a temporary useful, insanity yeah. that they have people defendants have successfully used that defense, uh, in order to avoid, uh, suffering severe consequences for murdering a trans person yeah. because they were shot. Have they? Yeah. I believe it was in, I can't I think it was in California. Actually. I can't remember the story. Oh. I know that that it's been successfully used at least once. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't know if it had ever been used because I, I had heard stuff about that. But that is kind of the the gay panic defense, right? Where yeah. um, where it's every time it's been tried in court up until maybe this new one that I hadn't heard about, it's been it, it had been shot down in court. But it's been tried a couple times, but it was never successfully used, right? It's like no, you can't just say that you can't just murder somebody because you're in the fit of rage you know <laughs> and i'm and i'm not saying that that's okay but what i am saying no it's not people are going to have you know if you if you tricked them in well, that way and they didn't know someone's going to have an extreme reaction to that and i'm sure that happens all the time and most of the time they probably don't murder the yeah. person but i'm sure they freak out and they get very upset and they kick and they kick the person out and that sort of absolutely thing. It, i mean it is so dangerous to not disclose that yes. I, I don't I, I hate when I mean you see a lot of these activists pushing this that you 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 don't have to you, you know you don't you don't have to disclose to this person I'm like why would you sleep with somebody who you don't even feel comfortable disclosing yes. this to and and, and it's just it is it's so dangerous and I mean I it, it is it's aching to I mean it's it's rape you you don't know you're not you know fully upfront and open with somebody and you're essentially you know, tricking somebody into a homosexual relationship when they're not homosexual. It's like, it could be very much akin to rape. It's, 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 it's going, it's, it's sleeping with somebody under false pretenses. It's yeah. rapey for sure. It's not cool. I mean, that's like, I, I, it's so easy. I mean, I have it down to a science and how I present to people. Like I, if I ever, if I, if I actually start feeling like an attraction towards somebody, it's like, that's the first thing I bring up because I want to see how they react. I want to see, you know, the reactions that they, if they react poorly, then I'm like, okay, well, I dodge a bullet, you know? <laughs> well, you want and, to be able to be with someone who knows who you are and your story and, and can accept exactly. all of that. You know, why would you want to have to lie to someone about but, that? Yeah. It's also an issue with hookup culture in and of itself. Yes. And it's like, you just want to be able to go out and hook up with anybody without any, any, any thought to it. And so it's like, well, maybe you should at least tell them that you're trans, even if you're, if it's just a, a one night stand, you know. Or, maybe, or maybe avoid should just, hooking up. Should start. To yeah. You know, reflect on hookup culture. Yes. In general. Well, that's in the gay yeah. Yes, that was that's kind of really yep. where it, yeah. Well, it started. I've already pissed some people off on this show who watch for saying things like that. But maybe we should, you know, stop 
being slutty and like I don't know, commit to someone. <laughs> God forbid you say that. Or you know, only have a slutty phase in yeah. our youth. You know, and like teens to twenties, and then grow out. Yeah. Or, or like Basil says, you know, he's one of our frequent guests. But like, if you are gonna be doing that, whatever. But like, don't throw it in everyone's face and pretend that oh, it's this so is a healthy thing yeah. that everyone should be doing. Like, do it on the download. Do it. In everyone should be an ethical slut. Yeah, and like keep it. Yeah. You know, it's your private life. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, it's okay. I mean, you can be open. You can be openly a slut, but you, we, we, there is something to be said about, you know, talking about hookup culture yeah. as it's not really a positive thing. You know, you can, I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, it, it causes a lot of issues and, you know, at, at least at the be. I mean, if the, if the bare minimum is that you have to tell the person that you're sleeping with that you're trans, then I think that that you might, and you don't feel comfortable telling them that then you might not want to hook up with that person. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Good rule of thumb. I think Good rule of thumb. So I wanted to bring up some new developments in legislation. And this story came out a couple days ago. So apparently Utah is the latest state to ban gender yep. affirming care for minors, which is, I would say a huge win. You mean transsexual surgeries and cross-sex hormones for yes, minors? Yes, for minors, yeah. We, <laughs> Speaking we, of language. Yeah, care, right? Yeah, yeah. care. Um, Can you pull those curtains closer? Yes, I got you. But yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to show that we are making some leeway in this fight. We're making some progress. There is pushback yep. happening, thanks to people like Billboard Chris, I know, because he, he's been really pushing to have legislation and he's been talking with, you know, a lot of politicians and stuff around the country and in Canada as yep. well to try to, you know, make some progress in that area. Because I don't know what else to do. You know, I know some people get mad at this idea and they say, oh, well, the government should stay out of these decisions entirely. But like, dude, we have laws in the book to protect children from child abuse, all sorts of child yeah. abuse, you know, or to not have them brought into strip clubs and things like that. You know, if you want to talk about the drag shows and kids and all that. Yeah. So I think this is a similar situation where you might need the government to at least step in a bit or to draw a line start here. Start enforcing the rules that are on the books that, that are already there. Been letting yes. go when yeah. it comes to medical malpractice, yes. when it comes to letting children into establishments that have liquor licenses. Yeah. I know in Florida, they're investigating this uh, drag queen Christmas show that was going around. Yeah. They ended in Florida. Uh, they had three shows. I think it was in like Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and somewhere else. And uh, there were some complaints to the I think it was something like the Florida board or Florida regulatory body for business and taxes or something. I can't remember what the name of the Florida state group was, but they said that they looked that yeah, it looks like there might be some law, law breaking here and we are going to investigate. And if we find, mm -hmm. you know, prima facie evidence of law breaking, we will refer it to the state, you know, police for criminal prosecution. So, you know, that takes time, yep. but we'll see what happens. You know, that was just last month. So we'll see if that yeah, goes That's, um, so yeah, legislation is where we are winning this fight. You're right. The Utah bill is, is great. And actually I think the Utah bill is, is, is good for a lot of reasons uh, because it puts a moratorium. It's not a complete, it's not a ban. It puts a moratorium on any new people from being prescribed oh. um, as well as what in, or, or having surgeries as um, for minors as well. What that does, and it also allocates, and I think, that, or the governor said he's going to start allocate, get the legislator to allocate more resources to 
um, studies, to fund studies, to to figure out what the best case scenario. So they're basically halting everything so that we can actually study the effects and study this stuff so we can actually give good information. Um, and and I know we're, you know, I'm talking to organizations and politicians as well across the country, and there's a lot of stuff like that coming. Like we need, we're going to start funding studies and everything like that, like looking into what the actual, you know, actual, the best approach for, you know, children with gender dysphoria is, and, you know, putting the moratorium on it is a, is a good first step because you, you know, if you don't know, you don't continue to go forward and push to say this, you know, we'll let you do this for now. But if we come out, if these studies show that they're not right, then we, then we'll ban it later. No, you put the moratorium in, in place now in case those studies show that it's causing ir, you know, irreparable harm to these children, which a lot of people it, it is. And, and, and yeah, like you said, it, I, I mean, I don't, I have no idea how we're allowed. We would, how we've been allowing anybody under the age of 18 to have life altering elective surgeries because they are elective. They're not like, they're not, you know, life-saving, it's not life-saving medicine. It's an elective surgery that you can deal with until you get, you know, until you reach adulthood, you know, you just have to teach people to deal with that. <laughs> and, and it's not just figuring out the best way to like treat kids who act, who have gender dysphoria, but it's figuring out which ones actually have that. Cause it's yeah. going to be a small percentage of them who have yeah. that where it's extreme enough where it persists and it's really detrimental to them and which of them are just, you know, sucked into a trend, dealing with traumas, dealing with sexual, yeah. abuse, dealing with those sorts of things. Or just experimenting as children. Or yeah, just experimenting. Yeah. It's like, we have to be able to weed out like who actually has like that mental disorder yeah. that needs to be dealt with and, and who is, has something else going on. Yeah, they think the trans thing is where they now can fit in, and it's like a form of like escapism. I think for a lot of kids who are dealing with it is, you know, they don't. It's a lot of trauma. Who's a gay teenager and a a lesbian teenager instead of just being someone who has dysphoria? Because yeah, I think gay and lesbian young, you know, young adults. And when you add autism, struggle. It's even more complicated. They struggle with yeah. Like I've I haven't done it, but I've I know and I've spoken to many gay men who wore heels when they were kids and wanted to dress up and experiment or preferred playing with dolls and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And if they were growing up today, a lot of them say like, Hey, I would have qualified for this diagnosis yep. and they would have yeah. pushed me in that direction. And yeah. those voices get silenced. It's like by every writers. lesbian I've talked to. Yes. Well, yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely right. It is figuring out which one it is. I mean, and which one is, I mean, is the rapid onset because like um the way i talk about i mean like i had known something was different i like different stuff like i tried to dress on when i was four years old and everything like that you know but not everybody that you know feel like feels the same way around the age of four is going to end up going on to be trans it's again it's very small it's the the square is not or the square is a rectangle but a rectangle is not a square type type thing and so when you and and so you have to figure out which ones, yeah, which ones are actually going to persist. And that's almost an impossible task, I would say. You know, you have to go through puberty to figure it out. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's and that's one of the issues. I mean, it took me five years after I started to explore at the age of like I was I was like twenty eight, twenty nine when I started to really explore who I was after I had gotten uh, separated from my ex. And so 
it took me five years before I started hormones because it was like, I need to make sure that like, what is this? What is this feeling that I've had since I was you know four years old? Um, and, and how is, am I going to progress further? And then finally, after I came out to my family and everything like that, it was finally like, I'm going to start taking hormones, but it wasn't until after a long period of ex exploration of who I was to figure that out. Yeah, but also um, what the effects of those things could be on you. And you have to be aware of that before you make such yeah. a drastic decision. Like, cause hormones yeah. and, and changing your body chemistry, like there, there are some negative side effects to those things too, that you have to be aware of. They could cause other health complications, et cetera. So, yeah. Well, people don't know that. I mean, how, how just taking testosterone down and like adding estrogen just creates a very different mental state i mean it puts you into a state uh, interesting state because there was there was times like in my transition where i felt like i was going crazy because i was just like acting in a way that i didn't even understand i was like what am i doing like and so you have to learn to adapt to that stuff and that's not easy too and so you need a therapist that can kind of guide you through that to help you understand what these drugs are actually doing to you mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds very challenging. And especially now with therapists being so ideologically biased, like you really, you'd want to have like a really good therapist to go through the yeah. process with and not somebody who's just hurting you through it. Like it's the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, I think so. It's where everything that you say is that's normal. Oh, that's normal. That's normal. That's normal. I think some of them are doing it because they really do care and they think yeah. it is the best thing. And I think some of them are doing it and deep down they know that this is not right, but they're scared to push yep. back. They're scared a lot of both to of that, yeah. question mm -hmm. because they don't want to be canceled. They, they don't, don't want to lose their, their license. They don't want to yeah. lose their licenses, you know? So it's like that needs to change too. We need to create an environment where, where these therapists feel more comfortable pushing back and there's no risk for them. And that if they do get attacked by the radicals that we defend those therapists and we defend their license. Oh, so they're doing a Jordan Peterson right now. Oh yeah. License. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, right yeah. It was actually Jeanette on the panel. She said, and she made it, she was right. She's like, I don't like to think that anybody is just maliciously evil. Um, she goes, I think that the word inept is probably a better word because um, you know, people, most people are good and are trying to do the right thing, but a lot of people have bought into this ideology that this is the way to care for these people. You know, this, like, again, it's like, it's like how you manipulate a parent to say, you know, you can either have a dead child or a trans child that is manipulation. So you want what's best for your child. I think society as a whole just wants what's best for people. Yeah, and so, so remember that old axiom on how the road to hell is paved. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You are absolutely okay. correct. They have very good intentions, but really have no idea what the hell they're doing. And I will, I will push yeah. back against Jeanette a little bit, and I will say most people probably want the best and mean well, but there are definitely a handful of people who are just straight up evil. Cluster B? Oh, yeah. Cluster B or just straight up psychopaths, and I think they do enjoy harming. They do enjoy inflicting suffering. They do enjoy the confusion and the manipulating of people and all that stuff. And we have to be aware that they're there and that they're going to corrupt the others around them and convince them that what they're doing is good because they get a kick yeah. out of it. They love it. You know, yeah. duping the light. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, to kind of shift points, go back where you had said, enforcing the laws that are currently on the books. I think that's a great point 
because there are so many laws that are currently on the books that aren't being enforced. Like you said, I mean, child abuse is on the books. Like you can look at that and, and determine like what would be considered child abuse in this case. And a lot of stuff that's happening could be considered child abuse. You know, I mean, again, performing surgeries on 15 year olds that are life altering is, is abuse and, and you're manipulating, especially, especially like, and you mentioned autism when the high percentage of these people have autism, then you're performing it on people that don't that not only are they under the you know under the age of consent where to where they don't even have the cognitive ability to understand right. the the act the, you know their their chosen like the ramifications of their chosen actions when you add in the spectrum on top of that that's even putting more you know disregard for what like they, they then they don't even understand as nearly as much of what these actions and the full ramifications are because they get so obsessed with what they're actually doing in, in this idea of being a boy and they think that that's they, that that's what they're going to do when they get then they get focused on that and so there's a lot of that conversation that can be had as well um and actually a little bit different too is um they just said that one of the male who was apparently the Apparently a trans woman, I don't know, that was in the women's locker room. She's being now charged with indecent exposure, which I think is great. Because I'm like, if 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 you are a male and you're flashing your, your penis around in a locker room, that's indecent exposure. We've had these laws on the books, just enforce yes. them. Yeah, just enforce them. It's not a new yeah. thing. Yeah. And you brought up the autism thing and all of that. And I know Chloe Cole has spoken about that. As well, and she's on the spectrum too. To her situation, yeah. and you know, anyone who has not watched it yet, I highly recommend you go watch her conversation with Jordan Peterson. You know, and he asks some very, very good questions and kind of helps. You know, it's hard to watch. watch though. It is hard to watch. It's a Painful. difficult thing, but it's Painful subject matter. It's important though. You know, I think if people want to understand the connection between the the gender confusion stuff and someone and who might be on the autistic spectrum, and how I think a lot of a lot of the youth are in the autistic spectrum mm -hmm. we're the ones getting pushed into this direction it's like mm -hmm. we have to know there is a connection there and how do we yeah. how do we deal with that well and what people don't realize too is especially for females a lot of the stuff um the autism um diagnoses especially for like what would be considered asperger's um was all the diagnosis criteria initially was in males and how males present um and now they're starting to figure out that females don't actually present the same way um, when it comes to that, you know, that um, illness. So like um, I had Christina Buttons on my channel and she discussed this and said, and if you don't know Christina Buttons, she's a writer on these types of issues for the Daily we've, Wire. We've met, we've met her before. She's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just in case anybody in the audience didn't know either. So she, um, she, talks about it too and when she was explaining what it felt like growing up with on the spectrum and not knowing what this was because the diagnosis criteria was not right you know they they thought it was all these different things and how she would probably be labeled as trans today because she would she knows herself and would have grabbed onto that ideology and like thought that that's exactly who i am but the way that she described like growing up in her body is exactly the way that i would describe you know how gender dysphoria feels to me so it was just really interesting how the overlap uh happens yeah 
Yeah, it's very, I mean, and, and what do you do in that case? Now you've got, you know, basically somebody like yourself who is genuinely transsexual versus, you know, Christina, who's just on the spectrum, having very similar descriptions of their internal experience. How can we expect doctors to parse that, especially among yeah. people? It yeah. Just, it can't be done. You can't parse that. There's no, yeah. I mean, you just, well, and that's, and that's the, and that's, and I think that's the, the, the key right there is that, if you're talking about young people, a lot of, a lot of young people, they, you know, you kind of grow with it. And so that as you get, you know, it just takes time. And so if you're having those, those feelings as, as a young female that's on the spectrum, you'll end up growing out of it. And so again, waiting until you grow up in, into adulthood is key. And that's why you can't, there's almost, it's, it's almost an impossible task to figure out who is um, going to uh, desist and who's not. And so right now they're saying, you know, they're basically saying that we're going to save the, we're going to, we're going to save the one and hurt the, you know, the other nine in terms and this type of stuff. Right. Because it's, it's literally, I mean, the Lisa Lippman study shows that, you know, 80% would normally desist by the age of 16 and then like 90% would desist by the age of 18. So it's, it's very, um, it, that's why it's key that we just let these kids wait. You don't well, push the stuff on them and you don't allow them to do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in this culture where like we expect an immediate solution to all our problems. We want it now. Nobody wants to be told, hey, you just need to chill out for like five years and yeah. this problem will solve itself. Because they that's not something as Americans, especially in Westerners, we're just so used to having a ready-made solution for every problem. Yeah. And and especially if people want to transition, you know, a lot of these kids are very adamant and very aggressive and what this is what they want. They want it now, but they don't realize because they're so young that, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, you change yep. the person that you, yeah. you're not oh, the yeah. same person. You don't want the same things. You have different yeah. values and yep. that's normal. I'm thinking about me at like 24, 25 and how much just I've changed between then and now at 32. So much. Change. And then man, thinking about myself at like, 16 17 like i thought i knew more than actually did, you teenager. Know? i was angsty too and i was arrogant you know a lot of young folks are like we think we know and understand the world and maybe we understand some things and we might be quite brilliant for our age but we're still underdeveloped and we still don't really know what the hell we want or how reality yeah works. no you're absolutely right um i mean just think about how many i mean this is what's really bad about this too is like all these all these people they're like it, talking about like having kids later in life no teen not very many teens actually want kids later in life and then they grow up and then they're like oh my god now i want kids and um and then but they've caused this irreversible harm to where they can't i know chloe's kind of talked about it in a lot of stuff too where she's like i can't even breastfeed my kids you know if i if i have them if she can even still have yeah, kids it's just biologically yeah yeah and so we just don't i mean you're you're making these decisions for children that they they will probably you know they don't even know what they're going to feel in, in the years to come like you said like even in your 20s you don't necessarily know what you're going to want you know in your 30s and everything like that and um it is one of those things where we have this culture and especially the, you know internet culture and everything like right now we have a very self-gratification culture to where everything yeah you need it now i mean this is why we have credit cards and everything like that you can't like just save up and buy something anymore you put it on a credit card and then it's, and then it's yours right it's like all of this all of this 
is all cultural based and even just transitioning of itself. I, I always say, you know, it's like first world problems because you don't have these issues in areas where they're just struggling to survive. They don't worry about, they're not arguing about like somebody's pronouns. They're just like trying to figure out when the next meal is going to be, you know, yes. I think it, it, it showed it, the, it showed it the best in Matt Walsh's documentary when he went to Africa and talked to the tribe. Like they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't worry about this stuff. <laughs> Well, and it's also, I mean, it's a lot of this is being pushed as well because it's the progressive narrative right now is, and it's because a lot of what you're seeing is a lot of, you know, upper middle class white progressive women are, you know, supporting their kids or pushing their kids into it. We kind of call that trans housing by proxy because mm -hmm. it's like they've been told so much that they are oppressors. And so that then they can now say, oh, I have a trans child and my, my kids in the queer community and I'm so supportive and I'm such a good mother. And, and it, and it's, and it's, and it's just like, it's if you, lady, you have too much time on your hands. Okay. Painful to watch. And it's definitely cultural. Brent, you just brought up an interesting story here. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to see, but I wanted to ask Sarah what she thought about this. Well, this kind of shows how cultural it is that we really are just trying to normalize this and, Think about how many kids play video games, but apparently now in The Sims 4, they allow players to give characters transgender top surgery, uh, chest scars, and, and that sort of thing. And the first thing I thought about this is, like, wouldn't this, like, exacerbate someone's dysphoria or something like that? Like, isn't the point to not emphasize the scars? But I see a lot of the ones who transition, they almost kind of wear it as, like, a, like a badge of yeah. the wall now. Well, it's, it's to, they, they, they're trying to normalize it or yeah, they are trying to wear it as like a badge of honor. And I think the, the thought behind that is to be like, oh, I'm represented. Like, you know, like you have to be a representative in everything you see it in all across movies and everything. If like not everybody in the, you know, across the community and uh, it's not like the most diverse movie ever, then it's going to get you know, canceled and all this stuff. So adding this is just like, oh my God, I see myself in a video game. Like it's a self, it's a validation. Like you have validation because you see yourself in a video game. Um, I actually just filmed as we were, as we were, uh, I was, before we came on, I was filming uh, a reel that was, it's talking about that as well, but it's talking about as well. Even the new Hogwarts video game, the JK Rowling, like the Harry Potter game, you can play as a trans character. No way. Really? And it's like, and it's like, what is the difference between a trans character and a regular character? Like right. that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's literally, it's virtue signaling because it's like, isn't the point of transition to blend into society so like yes when i used to play like grand theft auto and used to play games where you could choose yes i would play as a female character but i i didn't need a trans character in there because i could just play as a female character right. <laughs> you know? exactly like it sounds like it would just exacerbate the dysphoria yeah also yeah. this idea of needing that constant outside validation to me all that shows is how insecure people are and their identities and it's like so yeah. someone like you the fact that you're able to have these conversations the fact that you don't expect people to play this sort of mental game with you where we must see you exactly as the yeah as sex because you're secure you understand like i'm a male i'm presenting as a female but i'm not actually therapists. a female and you're like <laughs> i'm not trying to control someone else's reality and how they perceive me i'm comfortable yeah. in myself this is who i am it's like yeah. you need that outside validation constantly and it shows you're not like fragile. Whereas a lot of these other of these other ones, 
it just tells me that they're they're fragile. They can't handle yeah. any confrontation. They can't handle any disagreement. They have to see themselves validated everywhere amongst everyone. That is not possible. You can't no. control people's minds. No, you can't control. And that's and that goes back to again compelled speech and everything like that. It's like you, if you don't validate me one hundred percent of the time, and it is interesting. I wrote about this in Human Events. I wrote a, a piece on Dylan Mulvaney and the Alta stuff oh, in human events. And I, and only a, like a paragraph is about the Dylan Mulvaney stuff, but it's more about cultural stuff as a whole. And, but I, I talked about that. I said, me nor Dylan will ever know what it's like to be a woman. We will not know what it's like to grow up as a woman. I don't know what a woman feels like every, does every woman even feel the same type stuff? And I said, the issue is, I said, why is it so important to do this? And I said, it's shame. These people, they feel so shame that they were born male or they were born female if they're, uh, you know, female to male. Yeah. And so they were, they were, they feel so much shame um, that they were born in the opposite sex that it's like um, they, they, they have to, you know, force everybody to believe their reality and, it, and it's not true. And I, and I actually, if you scroll down towards the bottom, I actually say, you know, it's interesting because they will call me self-hating for yeah. even writing this article actually right there the, for writing this article for embracing the fact that I'm, I'm a male and embracing biological reality. <laughs> yeah. It's so, but at, at one point, <clears throat> did you have shame for being born a male? Um, well, I don't think it was ever shame in my, in the, in the fact that I was born male. I think mostly what I was feeling was confusion. Yeah. Like I was confused as to why I was, you know, you know, wanted to present a certain way, you know, wanted to prevent present as a girl and why I wanted that. I think I was, I've always been, I've never really felt shame in who I was at the same point in time. I, I probably felt more shame over the disorder that I had yeah. because I, you know, you wanted to be I, as a male, but yeah. Well, and, and 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 for the longest, I mean, when I growing up, I mean, without really doing too much exploration and deep dive, I thought you know it was a fetish, and that's it was just I like to you know dress in pretty things and, and stuff like that, and it might have been a fetish. And as I explored that, that's why I started to come to the realization that you know I I started off just you know dressing to see if that changed anything. And then it wasn't even about like sexual arousal or anything anymore. It was like being more me. And so then I would go out in public and then it was, and that's kind of how you start the exploration is like you go out in public and, and you try to, and you know, you pass. And then, and then at the point when you finally start living as the opposite sex, then you start, you're like, okay, does this make me feel more comfortable to be like this? Or is this just something that I can, I can handle in any other way. And, and you just start questioning all of that. And it's kind of the, prog the progress to where I took to be like, okay. And it's, but yeah, I mean, I kept this thing hidden for 20, 25, maybe no, no, 28 years of my life. I mean, the first person I ever told about this was my ex and that was back in 2014. Yeah. And so I was like 28 years old when I first told somebody. So yeah, I would say that I was kind of ashamed as to who I thought of, you know growing up and thinking that i had this weird fetish or something like that that i was just i was weird like that and so now i think i've grown to think that it wasn't the fact that i was male it was the fact that i thought it was weird of what i was doing you know what i what my brain was telling me i should be and now it's just like you know i'm i'm comfortable with who i am <laughs> which i mean is something that we all have to work towards for sure acquiring yeah. you know over 
growth and development. Yeah, no, as, as gay men, I think we can relate to that aspect of it. Yeah. For sure, you know, and for, we also go through that sort of ashamed process, although maybe it is a little different because I think for us, we, we are ashamed of who we are and why we want to, you know, act yeah. the way that Cuddle we with other men, be with other men. Well, I get that too, because that's the thing is I'm, I'm, I'm bisexual. So it's like, okay. even for being a male and wanting to be with men, it's kind of like, well, this is not, it, it, ha it plays into that same, same thing as well. <laughs> yeah. So I did get that. The last thing I want to ask you about, and it ties into this stuff too, and this idea of shame is, um, you know, your religious beliefs, you, you are very openly Catholic. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you know, a person of faith. Uh, I think we've chatted a bit about this before on Twitter, but, you know, talk about that a bit. And like, I guess, how you, how do you reconcile being someone who's transsexual and bi, you know, with, with your, your religious beliefs and your faith? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, I've, I've done stuff and I've, um, about just different interpretations of the Bible and how different words in the Bible have been translated to mean different things throughout history. And, and so you can kind of look at it. Um, at the end of the day, I think, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Um, I don't necessarily believe in some of the interpretations, I guess. And really, I, yes, I consider myself Catholic because that's the faith that I grew up in. It's still the church that I go to. I mean, I don't go to church often, but when I do go to church, it's usually a Catholic church and I'm very, you know, it's, it's not bad. We have a pretty good one here, a couple good ones here in Atlanta. And so, but at the end of the day, also, I've started to kind of be like, it's probably the best way for me to describe myself as Catholic, but I don't like government. And so the Catholic church is set up like a government. So I, I've always been kind of critical of the fact that you have a Pope that can change the interpretations with on, on a whim and everything like that. So I'm like, it, it just seems kind of odd to me. So I guess I'm not a good Catholic. You know? <laughs> I guess I'm more non-denominational Christian than anything with my own beliefs and values. And I, I do believe if you, you know, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, that at the end of the day, Jesus died for our sins and that, um, you know, only God can judge us. And so we just live. The, and if you are, I believe that if you are a good person, you are, you know, kind to others and you're, and you're doing the right things, then you will still get salvation at the end. I mean, you will still make it into the kingdom, no matter, no matter how it was. And I do, I mean, I, I believe that God made me like this for a reason. And maybe it's what I'm doing right now, trying to protect kids. It's all yeah. led up to this point where I'm out here trying to protect children because I had this unique experience to say, this is not the glamorous life that they're trying to push onto you or trying to tell you that it is like, it's still a difficult life to live with. If you transition. I think, I think that's how I view it too. Like your unique perspective is something like only you can share with others. Cause I don't understand what that's like. I've never had yeah. you know, gender dysphoria or gender identity <clears throat> disorder. And I think I said this to shapeshifter as well, you know, as someone who went through the surgery and had all of those issues and problems and kind of knows what it's like to be perceived as a woman, but also knows what it's like to be a man because he's a man. Yeah. That does give you a unique perspective that the vast majority of people on the planet won't be able to share with others and to explain yep. and to get others to understand. So then we can try to navigate what's going on here. So yep. you very much serve a role. Absolutely. All, you know? 
And and that goes back to what I was talking about detransitioners earlier. All the detransitioners out there now are providing a great service that by speaking out because the more voices that they get out there, the more people they will affect. And the more people that they affect, the more the more we can kind of stomp this out. Because like when they again when they transitioned, a lot of there weren't people out there speaking out about the hazards. A lot of those people were either silenced or they just weren't out, you know, there weren't enough out there because it's kind of a new trend. Um and so we need more people like that speaking out because they have that unique experience to say this happened to me, um, whether as an adult or as a child, uh, either way. It's like if it happens, if, if you transition as an adult and you end up regretting it, then, yeah, what what hope do we have for our kids that are transitioning? You know, how can we stop that from happening? <clears throat> they also get crap from both sides. You know, the radical activist yeah. types cast them out and hate them and attack them. And even a lot of conservatives will never totally accept them either, or they blame them, especially the, the M to Fs, you know, they, yeah. they seem to be particularly kind of like demonized and all of that. But also this, like this, I think uh, there's a kind of a, a difficulty in trusting that many of them have. And I understand that, like, are they being used as just like these political pawns for someone's, argument you know that they're trying to yeah this stuff and i wouldn't want to feel that way either so you know i, I know casey miller has posted threads about this stuff before too and it's just how the transitioners are talked about and how their stories are told is also important you know and every time we bring one on i always like to also ask them about other things that they're interested <clears> in <throat> or that are a part of who they are that have nothing to do with that. Speaking yeah. of, you know, I wanted to ask Sarah about her thoughts on the war in Ukraine. As a combat veteran, you were in Iraq and Afghanistan. I guess that'll be the last thing. <laughs> I was, no, because I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Sarah's military person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm an anti, so I'm, a, I'm anti-war. I think that, so my... My views, I mean, I'm a minarchist, which means I'm basically think that the only thing that the government should do is provide a standing military to protect our country. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not for foreign wars. I'm not for foreign involvement. I'm for literally protecting our borders and our our country. So first thing is, I don't think we should be, you know, providing aid and support to any country in the world, even Ukraine right now um financially or or anything else i think that provides that still shows that we're favoring one side over the other um i think that uh putin should have never did what he did um but i also think that you know nato and its allies and everything like that led up to this gave him every excuse in the book to be able to do what he did because when you looked at NATO countries were never supposed to push east of Germany. And so it look, kind of started to look like a, you know, an, like an invasion could possibly happen against, you know, Russia. It could be an attack on Russia. It's like the same thing as if, what if, what if um, Russia put or China put, you know, arms within reach striking distance of the U.S. Yeah, or basically Cuba. Canada. Yeah. Just... Yeah. I mean, we know. I mean, I mean, we, we, we went the, the Bay of Pigs. We, we attacked, you know, we, right. we struck back. And so we kind of have led to this point. Um, and I mean, Ukraine has suppressed gay people. They're not, they're not LGBT friendly. Um, they have, uh, I mean, they've been in a civil, so we, staged a coup i mean that's other things we we executed we we backed a coup back in 2013 that caused a of who what used to be a pro-putin president in ukraine to add a 
anti-Putin president in Ukraine. And that's why there's been fighting, like there's been a civil war happening in the Donbass region and the Ukraine since 2013. And so when you look at it, like Zelensky and them, they, they, they've been literally killing their own people because they've been at this war. And I mean, I think the only way that you can end this peace, like finally end this is, is, and, and it's been proposed. So it's not even anything radical. It's like, you just let Russia have the Donbass region because all those people are pro-Russia anyways. Most and then, yeah. yeah. And so they're identified <clears throat> with being Russian. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, you kind I mean, end the civil war that's been happening there and allowed yeah. that to take place. And then, and then, and then just, you know, have a ceasefire, just stop what's going on. I think that there's reasonable solutions, but nobody wants to negotiate right now. And now that we're sending tanks and everything like that over there, I think we're getting in, we're getting into a really strong territory where we could be, you know, in world war three with a nuclear power. And it's really uh, scary because I'm not on either side. I think all sides have just been, I, I think, I think Putin should have never do what he did um, in the first place. I think he's crazy in and of himself, but yeah, I think um, we shouldn't be so heavily supporting a country like Ukraine um, in this fight. I think we should be staying neutral in all of it. Yeah. And it just seems like <clears throat> our leaders are just intent to keep throwing fuel on that fire. You know, at first they were never not going to send tanks too expensive, too hard to train. People don't understand. You can't just like give Ukrainian tanks and then expect yeah. them to be able to operate them and use them effectively yeah. in a theater of war. Like I was yep. reading this article from a general who was, who was a tank operator and he, you know, he was also a higher, you know, he ordered around the battalions of tanks and, you know, yeah. he was like, you have to train these men for months together just to get them to operate, you know, cause it's a crew. A tank is not yep. just one guy. It's a crew of people. They have to be able to work together really well as a singular unit. And then you have to be able to take that single unit that single tank and then integrate their functioning into a larger group and then take that group and integrate it. And that all just takes months and months and years yeah. and years of time and practice and training. Yep. They're not going to be able to give these guys tanks and a six week course. Yeah. No, it's hard. no, you're right. Well, and, and I mean, we've spent, I forget what I saw the, the other day too. It's like, we've spent more money in Ukraine than we spent in like the first 10 years in Afghanistan or something like that. Um, it's, I mean, we're spending billion ish now. Wow. It's yeah. Not that much. The, the U.S. is over $30 trillion in debt and we're spending money in other countries at an exasperated rate. Like that's our money. That's our taxpayer money. That's going to be placed on generations to come. Like yeah. we should probably be worried about, you know, eliminating the debt and not like supporting, you know, a proxy war in another country. And it's just so funny that we get out of Afghanistan and all of a sudden we jump right into Ukraine. I'm like, can we just have six months, a year, five, where we're not engaged in a war? That's with some too much. Country? That's too much to ask, Brett. Well, you can't. Well, and and you can't anyways because like even it's people don't see it like th this either. I mean, just jump to another area. Look at um, Israel and and the, and the Palestinians. It's like we fund Israel's iron defense system. Uh, the Iron Dome defense system. And then we, you know, under the Obama administration, we gave um, the Iranians a bunch of money back. Then we also gave the Palestinians COVID, COVID money. And then just so happens to be like a few years into Biden's administration, like rockets get sent into Israel. So 
uh, we're fighting a proxy war in Israel against ourselves. Yeah. Like we're literally, our money is being placed to send rockets into our, our own defense system for Israel. This Crazy. is, this is why I think for the most part, well, the banks for one, but also the arms dealers are, well, the military industrial complex is they yeah profit off this. Cause think about it. Like if it's your business to make and sell weapons, you need war because you need those weapons to get used up so you can sell more weapons. So if there isn't a war, you're out of business. And if there are no reasons to start a war, you might be more inclined to create some reasons to start a war. So you can stay in business. It's just, to me, it's common sense. And this was something I realized when I was very young in high school, I'm just like, Hey, like people who make weapons might want to start wars to sell weapons. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was the big thing on Iron Man. The Iron Man, the yep. first movie in Iron Man. Yeah, right. Tony Stark was an arms dealer and was like making money off of war. <laughs> and it was, it was like the whole point. And then politicians are making tons of money off it too because they're getting kickbacks and stuff like yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. I don't know what to do. I mean, I think we're just going to, we, we can't really impact that conflict ourselves, but just to observe and sort of, you know, That's generally so be anti-war. That's all we can do is observe and talk about it. And so it speaking and, of, yeah. you are going to a libertarian uh, anti-war protest coming up. Do you want to give some details on that? Yeah. So um, I'll be in DC. I don't know, like, I don't know if I'll have, I'll be speaking or anything like that, but there is the Libertarian Party. And I actually, it's really interesting because I think it's the People's Party is are hosting this um, anti-war rally at the, uh, at the Lincoln Memorial um, on Jan or February 19th in DC. Um, And it's going to be some great speakers, um, everything like that. And it's, and, just basically yeah talking about we're gonna they'll be talking about the war in ukraine they'll be talking about just being anti-war and why you know like what we were just kind of talking about so it's gonna be a great event but yeah definitely come out it's uh gonna be a lot of great people there and it's funny because um this is one of those issues where people don't realize like when you can put your differences aside, like agree to disagree on like everything else for a specific cause, the libertarian party is like free, free values, mostly anarchist. And I think the people's party, it might not be the people's party, but I know that there's, they're working with like communist and stuff like that, that believe the exact opposite, everything else, but we're working together to make um, anti-war stuff together. It's, 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 it's actually really fun. It's interesting to see because people don't think that you can work with people that disagree with you on literally everything, but you can work together on one issue. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, it'd be fascinating to see the libertarians and communists come together to stop war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I guess with that, That's a good place will, to end it. I we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Sarah, remind everyone where they can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, so um, the best place to go, you can see like the article you presented earlier, and all my other articles that I've written for uh, that I've written are on my website, sarahigdon.com. It has links to every all my all my stuff, um, and then yep, just go in there, go to my links page, and then my just off the top, my YouTube is just youtube.com slash Sarah Higdon. Twitter and Instagram are both um, Sarah Higdon with an underscore after it. Gotcha. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us again and having this very important conversation. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me.
And we'll be back again yeah. soon with another one. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share the video. Give us money. We love you. Stay safe. Stay sane. Bye-bye.